think um, being adaptive, being um, someone who's able to pivot in different situations and uh, can kind of thrive in, in different environments, that's something that I always wanted for myself. I couldn't say before I moved to Israel that that was me, right? And now I feel I'm in a much better place to say that. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Leumitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Opus Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Bors, the Vice President of Marketing at Hiro, where he has helped lead the company from pre-seed to Series A since 2019. He has over seven years of business development, marketing, and product experience, mainly within emerging technologies such as conversational AI. Prior to Hiro, Aaron helped develop and launch Duplex at Google, which broke boundaries in the natural language space and started his career at Checkpoint, helping to grow enterprise mobile security. Aaron completed a BA in Business Administration at IDC Herzliya with a specialization in marketing after serving in the IDF's Givati Brigade as a lone soldier. When out of the office, he'll get his attention with hosting events, good B2B branding, and the New York Knicks. Aaron Bors, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Thank you so much for joining me from Israel. How are you? Doing great. Happy to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. It's going to be a great, great show talking about uh, journeys and non-conventional journeys. Um, Really, um, you know, the place that you're at today, you know, working on some of the most fascinating projects, uh, VP Marketing at Hiro, an amazing startup in the Israel ecosystem, but but previously having worked at some fantastic organizations and obviously the coolest product in the world, Google Duplex. I'm I'm unbiased, of course. Um, And, um, but doing all that with a really unconventional personal journey uh, that that most people around the world definitely don't experience and so I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of stitching your story together and sort of drawing this line and connect the dots with your theme and so um welcome to the show and, and, I'm, and I'm excited to hear your story thank you so much I, I hope it'll be uh, as interesting as you might uh, you might expect I, for me the story of how I came to Israel is uh, very similar to a lot of other stories of lone soldiers. So, um, you know, but to the rest of the world, I guess it seems insane, right? That someone would pick up, leave the United States, come to Israel and join a foreign uh, um, uh, body of military. So uh, I'm happy to jump in and, and start talking about the, the story with you today, Matthias, and thanks for Fantastic. having me. All right, let, let's do it. Take me back, take me back sort of to growing up, because even the this, this decision to pick up and leave and you know, going to a different setting, a military setting. I mean, that's, that's kind of wild, right? I mean, most people, you know, they don't say, you know, let me, let me just go enlist in a military, in a country where I don't necessarily speak even fully the language in. Correct. Um, I don't, I don't think it's an easy decision whatsoever. Uh, it's made easier by circumstances. So if everything's going really well, it's, it's an interesting concept, right? If everything's going really well, and um, in your home country, you might not pick up and leave and have this adventure. I right. get to experience the types of, um, you know, uncomfortable uh, scenarios, challenges, et cetera, that come with these types of big moves. 
Um, so I was lucky enough that at around age 19, I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable in a college setting in the U.S. I didn't feel that uh, higher education made sense at that point, having not experienced really uh, any kind of life, uh, you know, experience that would kind of shape me and, and make me understand where I'd want to take myself down the road. So um, there were a lot of reasons that culminated together um, that really helped me to understand that Israel was the place for me. And specifically, the IDF was the right chapter for, you know, that time period in my life. And um, I'll say that I grew up, you know, in Long Island, surrounded um, by quite a dense Jewish population. I grew up in Great Neck, New York. So even going to public school felt almost like yeshiva. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, it was very rare if someone didn't understand what Jewish holidays were, even not being from, uh, you know, that religion. And um, growing up in that community gave me a very strong sense of identity towards Judaism, but also towards Israel. Um, the Israel parade, the, you know, constant um, activities, whether it was through Hebrew school or just in Great Neck in general, in the various community centers that were set up. Um, right. So all that kind of pours together to create this strong identity um, and this strong affiliation with Israel. My parents also met in Israel. Neither of them were Israeli, but they met in Israel. Um, and so, you know, that really shaped the decision, I think, to to focus on Israel as a place of, of growth for myself. And yep. I did that right after high school. So um, it was really easy to join the Israeli army. I don't know if people know how easy uh, you make they make you sign a few forms, um, and then uh, sure enough, they just hand you uh, an automatic rifle. No, I'm kidding. But uh, all you need is uh, really to prove that you're uh, from Judaism and show that you're going to stay in Israel, and you can go through Mafal or Green Sabar. Um, and that's how I became a lone soldier. So uh, I came really for two major reasons. One was to defend um, the nation of Israel, which, uh, which is dear to my heart. Uh, and the other was to was to grow, to find out, you know, what's in my core and, um, and 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 what am I really about? Beautiful. And then obviously, you know, the Israeli the Israeli military with with its compulsory service, it it does a phenomenal job at taking people of all backgrounds and all stories, um, and and sort of leveling the playing field, um, and you know, with training and with social conduct and with sort of this community idea. I remember in, in, as an officer myself, you know, we learn this phrase, um, army builds, nation builds army, uh, or it may be nation builds, army builds nation, but there's this idea that we all come together, we get this training and we get this maturity, mature journey together and we grow. But going back once again, this decision to pick up and leave and to transition, to change, Right. I mean, you're, you're in the U.S., you're in the college system, which is, you know, very structured. You know, you're doing it with the peers that you've known and or you're getting to know that you've had similar lives. And you sort of one day say, you know what, I'm doing something different. I'm actually going in a different life path. That can't be a trivial decision. Can, can you go back? Like what? How do what, what gets to that conviction at the end? It's a dramatic decision. Well, I think. Uh... I think there, there's some impulse to it, but it's definitely something that builds over time, right? So it's not as if I just picked up and left right after high school. So I decided to do a year of college. I decided to see if that was the right path for me. And after two semesters or, you know, around uh, 12 months since uh, graduating high school, I understood that um, I was doing something unpopular, seemingly 
disastrous towards that track, right? Americans, often not just Americans, uh, but mostly Americans uh, put you on this track where if you get off the track, it's going to be very hard to catch up. Everyone's going to keep moving at that same pace, if not faster. And if you get off the track, my God, what's going to happen to me? Uh, I'm going to be behind. I'm going to right not be as successful as my friends who are now a couple of feet or meters or whatever it is ahead. Um, so it's a difficult decision, of course. It's a challenging decision. And each step of the way in the army, watching friends either get internships in fancy you know, companies, uh, Merrill Lynch or whatever it is in the United States, watching friends become you know, uh, the president of their fraternities, those things, yep. they're, they're cha- it's challenging to see that happening and feel a little bit of FOMO. At the same time, you, you know, the trade-off is that I'm, I'm doing something real and impactful on a level that I just couldn't find in the, in, in the U.S. at the time. Um, at, at least that doesn't relate to my beliefs. There's nothing wrong with joining, you know, the American military or doing other great programs or, uh, finding different ways to give, give back through, uh, through, you know, other channels or agencies. But for me, doing it for Israel was the only way to do it. Um, and again, I think it's a, it's a culmination of factors, right? So, uh, right place, right time, uh, right mindset, uh, especially. I think mindset is is key there. A lot of people will join the Israeli army, volunteer in the Israeli army. Um, lone soldiers will come escaping something. I think that's wrong. I think uh, most of the lone soldiers that I've seen who have either abandoned their service in the middle or who have hightailed it back to their uh, country of origin right after their service, they're doing that because they came here with the wrong mindset. So um, either it was something where they're running away from uh, home or some problems at home or you know, they're, the best way to do it is to run towards something. So I think if your intentions are, are pure to join the IDF and, um, you know, you're, you're coming here for the right reasons, it's going to work out. And for me, again, those intentions were make a, um, make a better, um, uh, core and understand my values more and, and grow as a person, as a man. And then the second part was let's, you know, I want to defend this country. It means the world to me. Amazing. So. Post army, you're you're in Israel. You're assimilating into sort of the culture here and the industry here. How, what what path sort of takes you into into product and into marketing? Yeah, it's it's a great uh, it's a great question. Uh, all roads lead to high tech if you live in Tel Aviv. No, I'm just uh, just joking. Kind but kind seriously, of uh, kind of. <laughs> I, yeah, it's um, it's really easy as an international to slip into high tech, right? Like, um, it's much less common that I'll take my mediocre Hebrew and go towards uh, being a lawyer, where I have to uh, potentially stand in court and argue with the native speaker every day. Um, so, yeah, I think the the skill set obviously helps. Um, but I'll just say that after I uh, graduated, or sorry, after I finished my uh, service in the IDF. So I did take some time to understand what I wanted to study. And I was in a much better place to know that what I was actually going to study is what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to, uh, now it's called uh, Reichman University, but at the time it was IDC Herzliya. Um, and I studied marketing in business. Uh, I did that in an amazing program, uh, graduated in 2015. Lucky enough that I was with uh, just a fantastic uh, array of, of different people from different countries, different worlds. Um, when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to um, to take marketing and do something with it immediately. And, and that's what tech opened for me. So that door 
uh, to tech was actually for me a door to marketing. And I took an interesting way to finally get to where I needed to be, which is a, as a marketing executive leading a team, which is always kind of the vision, right? Um, but yeah, I started at Checkpoint. Uh, that was more of a biz dev role, then moved to Google in a product development role for Google Duplex, which is how I found conversational AI. Uh, and then ultimately I uh, landed at Hiro and um, started as head of marketing and have built myself up to to now have a team of 11 and wow. um, VP marketing at the company. So um, yeah, that's that's the journey so far. And it, it really, my, my main point is it's not a straight line, right? Mm-hmm. I, I went in different paths. Uh, I wanted to understand sales more. So I started in something that was more biz dev oriented and I wanted to understand product more. Uh, so I went to a role that wasn't necessarily my calling, but something I knew would give me a skill set that I could use in other areas once I became a marketer. Now I have a fantastic relationship with our product team, I think in a product oriented way. Um, so yeah, just uh, saying that for anyone listening who thinks that because they're in one discipline, they can't break into another, that's, you know, that's horse crap. Yeah. Pardon my, uh, my language. So focusing on the, on the mindset a little bit. So, ha, you know, um, if we're looking at sort of decision-making as an idea and, and open-mindedness to, to change and transitions or, or having and having the confidence to do so, do you see sort of this, uh, do you see that the similarity between a decision like, you know, transitioning countries and enlisting in the IDF to transitioning from, from product to marketing or, or taking those leaps of faith even within your positions? Is that something that's sort of repetitive? Yeah, for me as a person, absolutely. I think um, being adaptive, being um, someone who's able to pivot in different situations and uh, can kind of thrive in, in different environments. That's something that I always wanted for myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say before I moved to Israel that that was me, right? And now I feel I'm in a much better place to say that. Who knows? I'm still young. I'm 32. So time will time will tell how much uh, pivoting and, and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, different moves I'll make. But um, absolutely. I think being adaptive is super important, uh, especially in tech, uh, where people can easily find themselves in a role they don't love 15 years down the road. Yeah. Um, you know, snap of the fingers. It, it's, you know, and I think now you see that people are starting to gravitate towards testing the waters a little bit more. And that's why, you know, resumes, the average, uh, average amount of time spent in a job in tech is going lower and lower and lower. That's a huge headache as a manager, but I totally understand why the average employee is doing that um, because it's becoming more common to be adaptive, to know that you have value, to test the waters based on that value and see where you're going to thrive, which hats look great on you and which hats you should probably take off. All of that's coming from a ton of different, you know, swinging from job to job, from a niche, you know, a niche, um, a niche like fintech to a niche like agrotech to a niche like food tech. I mean, um, it's a, it's a wide, wide world. And I think people are exploring it. Fantastic. And so tell me a little bit about, about Hiro and, and your role as VP marketing. What, what is sort of your position within this conversational AI space? Sure. So, um, I'll just give one sentence, I guess, about, uh, Hiro. So we think that chatbots and IVRs suck. Um, the way that they're deployed is wrong. Uh, they're built on this inherently but flawed architecture called intense. So if X, then Y, 
If uh, Michael says red, then go. If Michael says green, then stop. We know conversations don't work that way. So Hyros creating what's called adaptive communications. Um, and we deploy conversational interfaces that are able to scale with enterprises based on a totally different modality. So that's Hyro in a nutshell. We work with massive US enterprises in order to do that. Um, and I've been with the company from its inception. So I hopped on board when they had like, I don't know, Michael, maybe it was $300,000 in pre-seed wow. funding. I don't even think I checked, to be honest. I, I uh, was, was uh, really enamored with the idea, but also the people. The co-founders are what I bet on. It's all about people at the end of the day. Uh, and the co-founders very quickly convinced me that with their leadership and the technology, this would be a successful venture. Uh, so I left uh, the Google Duplex team, which was conversational AI as well. And I, I moved into Hiro as head of marketing. But to be honest, I was a glorified BDR. I was a glorified QA uh, engineer. I was a glorified uh, AE. I mean, I, I wore every hat that was humanly possible for the first 10 months while I was the only non-tech uh, person. Wow. So, um, and that was a lot of fun. Really big headache, but a lot of fun. Uh, and that's how also you discover, okay, all these facets of the startup, you know, um, how everything ticks, how everything comes together. And then you can be better in your job when you do that because you understand the mindset of everyone around you. Uh, so I, I, I'm in the head of the product person because I was him once, even on a small scale, but I was him once. And, and uh, the person who's, you know, leading partnerships, oh, I did her job at some point, you know? And so, um, so I think joining startups that early, it gives the most challenge you can ever ask for. But ultimately, it, you know, it makes you that much more collaborative at the end of the day. Interesting. Really, really interesting. Conversational AI is a space. So kind of, you know, your thinking process around, you know, st strategy, what are the different, what, what are the different, you know, contention points of contention maybe from consumer behavior or, or big mindset shifts that consumers need to make in order to really adopt this be this this technology into their lives sort of where are we at today and what are what are, how do you see you know the the main way that hyro is integrating into that space yeah so the adoption for conversational AI is already happening um and i, and I have to say it's one of the it's a, a pro and a con for Hyro, right? So we're in a red ocean. Everyone understands that the adoption's happening and there's a ton of chatbots, voice assistants, virtual assistants, AI assistants, whatever you want to call them. There's a million uh, terms for what's, uh, what's going on. Um, but it's, it's happening. It's been happening for the last five years. You see the adoption. So 25% of Americans were using digital assistants on a monthly basis. This was uh, about two years ago. That number's up to now 33%. It's slated to grow to 40%. Um, so you see that there's mass adoption, right? That's, that's a, that's a case where we, we are already experiencing most of us some kind of interaction with a virtual assistant or a digital assistant, um, quite, quite frequently. So that's the issue I think is not in the adoption. It's now in, uh, polishing the experience. So, you know, amplifying that customer experience, making it more consumer centric, um, you know, really trying to fix a lot of the issues that have existed based on antiquated technologies. So chatbots, chatbots technically came out, you know, 30 years ago, you had a chatbot. It was awful, but you had one. And now you have, you know, today, hundreds of chatbots that are based on today's standards, just just also not living up, right? They, they, they don't meet that bar, that quality bar. Um, 
So I think that's going to be the major, uh, major hiccup for a lot of these companies and also skip being scalable. So, you know, intent based, trying to build conversational flows. It doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. Um, Google Duplex was the most sophisticated, incredible conversational AI, still is. Uh, to date, it was uh, able to pass the Turing test in a lot of ways for specific use okay. cases. There was under a 1% detection rate for the fact that you were speaking to uh, an AI assistant, which is incredible, right? Uh, but that was only for specific sure. use cases. It was actually for one use case to start. We're talking about, you know, how do you yep. scale that? Though? How do you scale that without dedicating one project for, you know, the span of 18 months just on that one use case. Um, and so uh, that's, that's, you know, those are going to be the two issues. How, how, how high of a quality bar can you set and how well can you scale that? And whoever's going to do that first and prove that it works, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take the case. 100%. Aaron, this was so enjoyable and awesome. Amazing journey um, from, from Lone Soldier to today VP Marketing with, with incredible background and, and experiences in between, but, but also working on probably the most exciting field in, in tech today, at least in, in my opinion, that, that will literally change how we are. We're interacting with the world and with technology in general. So thank you very, very much for your time and for your energy and, um, and best of luck with Hyro and, their in, and the, the future journey. And I look forward to keeping in touch. <laughs> Thanks so much, Michael. This was a, a big pleasure. And uh, yeah, Hyro's hiring. So if anyone out there is uh, looking for jobs in tech, very, very here. Uh, no, but really, thank, thank you. Great. Thank you.